What a matchup! And what a tee, Mike! Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive! Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS on an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32 gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. From aliens to ghosts, demons to anchors, and from shadow people to the outlandish. Heidi Hollis's The Outlander 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 Welcome, welcome everybody to my awesome Friday evening. You are listening to me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. I know you guys were just so anticipating hearing this show. Believe it or not, I just got my voice back. So if it gives out, I'm sure you guys may applaud, but no, don't do that. (laughs) So if you guys do not even know where you have landed, this show is about bringing outlandish and interesting topics to the forefront from aliens to angels, ghosts, Demons, holy encounters, shadow people to Bigfoot to, I don't know, the Shroud of Turin? Could be. I always say if it's weird, we're here, and so are you, so you're just as strange as I am. So you're among friends. Now, if you do not know who I am, that's just too bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, If you don't know, when it comes to the outlandish, from bad aliens to good aliens to visions of Jesus to angels... Personally, I am someone who has been there, seen that, experienced it, freaked out, found some answers, wrote about it, got over it, and now I am hoping to help others do the same darn thing and understand the various parts of our very freaky world. Now, if you want to learn more about me, you could always go to my main website, which is, everybody grab paper, pen, all that good stuff, uh, HeidiHollis.com. And uh, you will discover the mystery of me, okay? And there's also a whole bunch of links on there. You can find me on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Yeah. So now I want to tell you guys about something that I think is absolutely awesome. <clears throat> Don't mind my rough voice. <laughs> but uh, for all of you guys who want to listen to this show, you can hear this show and the whole network in so many unique ways i think it's absolutely freaking cool okay i don't know if you know this or not but you could actually get an app for your android or iphone and uh, just look for inception radio network and just put it on your phone and uh there you'll have it it's awesome it's free of course and uh, you could also hear this show by phone So, like, I don't know, say if you're floating in outer space, you don't have a good internet connection, whatever it is, just call one of these two numbers, which is 832-280-0830 or 786-837-2262. Now, for all those people out there who are not chicken, you can also call in during the program, give us a ring, and uh, ask us some questions here. So it's 1-88-919-2355 or simply Skype your comments and questions to Inception Radio Network. I know it's really difficult, right? So 
And one thing that I think is really cool, I, I love uh, when I can <laughs> try to balance going back and forth, looking at the chat room and seeing what you guys are, I don't know, dissing, discussing <laughs> in the chat room. So if you post some questions up there, I will do my best to try to get to those questions as well, if you dare not call or Skype. So isn't that awesome? I think it's awesome. So now. There's something that I do at the beginning of most shows, except for tonight, okay, because my voice may not survive. <laughs> so I do this thing called the Outlandish Corner. This is where you guys can write into me about anything that's going on that's a little bit odd. I don't care if it has to do with aliens to Jesus or – I don't think Jesus is odd. I think Jesus is pretty cool. So um, <laughs> if you've had an encounter, uh, even weird dreams, I mean, send it to me. Just go ahead, send it to me, and uh, I will do my best to read off your adventure, your comment, your question, and uh, try to try to lend some some advice if I if I have any. Sometimes I don't. I don't know. So um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, and you know you can write me on my Facebook. Just put a one in front of my name, Heidi Hollis, and uh, uh, you can send me messages there, or just email me at dustoutlander at gmail.com, okay? All right. <clears throat> so tonight I am going to skip the outlandish corner, and besides, we have two awesome guests, and I want to really dig into their brains, and one's a doctor. <laughs> so, hey. Um, <laughs> so you know what? We're going to just go on over yonder, and we're going to introduce these wonderful gentlemen from across the pond. I skip stones on ponds, so this is great. Um, tonight's guest is Nigel Kerner, who is an author and freelance journalist. His fascination with UFOs resulted in his first book, The Song of the Greys, published in 1997. His latest book, Gray Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, hmm, I could relate to that, is the second in a trilogy about the UFO phenomenon and its social repercussions on humanity. Nigel also has a profound interest in the Shroud of Turin and writes about it extensively in his book. He is convinced of the authenticity of the Shroud and asserts that Jesus warned of an alien presence and that Jesus himself was part of the solution. Please visit his website at nigelkerner.com. And also joining us is Dr. Andrew Silverman. Mm -hmm. He is a medical doctor, ladies. I don't know if he's taken, but we'll find out. With a background in physiology and has been interested from an early age in the nature of what we are as human beings and what our potential is. He has always been fascinated to know how the image of the Turin Shroud could have formed being mindful of the fact that it cannot be replicated even with 21st century technology. Please visit his website, which is thelightoftheshroud.com. Everybody, round of applause for Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Silverman. How are you guys doing? Hello there, Heidi. Woo. Pleased to talk to you from nice across the pond, as you say. We're not <laughs> in the pond, but we're just across the pond. Just across. In, yeah. And uh, um, Andrew's coming. Uh, Andrew's a very close friend of mine. Uh, he doesn't live uh, in in, a, in an environment that's, can, shall we say, um, out of the pond. He's all, often in the pond, even though he's a doctor. <laughs> and I think you'll have a very interesting conversation with him because he's, he's got a beautiful, precise mind, and his take on the shroud is absolutely f riveting. Mine is the more generalistic kind of um, schematic of it all, uh, but Andrew and I have collaborated for years on this, so uh, I'd love to actually explain where we're coming from, where this particular oh. marvelous artifact's concerned. 
Oh, I am so anxious to talk to you guys. I mean, first, I guess we have to start from the alien angle. That is you. You know, and I love that you guys have a sense of humor because I, I think that's so essential in getting to the bottom of some of this stuff because when we're overly anal, I don't think a lot of people get it sometimes. So I, I, I love it. Um, now, you have a, a Dr. Uh, I mean, Nigel Kerner. <laughs> you have an interest in something that I I don't hear much about and I personally am fully into when it comes to talk of a more sinister type of alien being uh, which we're speaking of the gray aliens I mean what on earth what got you looking into this topic and uh, you know how did your perspective go in this route in this angle right oh well actually uh, some years ago (laughs) in the long distant past my (laughs) young 12 year old boy asked me a question that are aliens or UFOs, to be exact, UFOs real. Now, I've told this story countless times. Sometimes it's rather difficult for me to actually get interested in the answer, but I'll just give you the, the kind of plain scheme of how the whole thing occurred. And I'm, I have a scientific background, and I'm extremely precise in my kind of... I like, to, I like to feel I'm rather precise in my kind of thinking and so on, and the way I hitch things together. And Aliens and Buck Rogers and Star Wars and all the rest of it was just uh, the, the, the dross of, of, of just pure, you know, fiction, science fiction, interest, and so on. And when this young kid of mine came and asked me the question, he's pretty smart up top, and he often used to get me in a corner, knowing the answer and knowing his father was not too adept at the current, shall we say, contemporary stances of thinking, I thought this was a kind of trap. So rather than say to him what I really felt, this is all absolute nonsense, um, uh, I took a rain check and that rain check's taken me 37, nearly 40 years of painstaking research and completely and utterly reversed my total schematic of thinking in life, the entire existential outlay that I'd painstakingly assembled up to that point in, in looking at this thing seriously and with uh, deep-seated research and so on, which I was used to doing, loved doing, in fact. I had a research team around me for other things, and they kind of came in with this. And to my absolute devastation, I discovered that not only is this business about UFOs and alien greys something that is serious, but it is here serious, so to speak, for us all in the world, and probably the most powerful secret in the world today. So that little boy's 12-year-old kind of, you know, off-the-cuff quip, uh, UFOs real, has led me to a, an incredible conclusion, and that's, that's the conclusion that's taken actually three books to, 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 to deal with, starting with the two you mentioned, and I've just completed the third, which I hope draws a line under it, and that is the kind of thing I love to share with the mainstream of the world, hoping that like mums and dads everywhere, that we all look at our children and take it very seriously indeed, because in this world, with all the thousands of sightings you see of these things now, these days, out there is a totally menacing, I believe, threat to the sense of our human family's safety in the future. I believe it. You know, I, I have to first say, though, that uh, 
I always say kids rule their parents' world, and you just proved that point. So there you go. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I, I find it so fascinating that, you know, after all these years of research, you know, you've come to this conclusion, and uh, only a handful seem to have taken that on. It seems that, I don't know, there, there, there's just this whole other angle that uh, people who have ex actually experienced these gray beings and, and the change that that's happened with that. But, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear, like, what has been your process of elimination and, and coming to the conclusions that you have? I mean, what what does your research show you? Well, actually, look up there in the, in the night sky, Heidi, and what you see, countless trillions points of light, each one a star, and around them, perhaps a multitude of planets like our own solar system. You only have to look at the numbers out there to understand that we are not the only and cannot be the only intelligent form of life that can make decisions in will, free will, against trend. And you're bound to ask the question, if we are not the only ones there, what might lie out there that if you juxtapose our own history as a species with theirs, well, we don't come out too well, do we, in terms of our natures, and what we do, and so on in this world. Um, in the multi-trillions of world, worlds out there, there, there are indeed civilizations that have found and have to have found a way past that Einsteinian adjunct E equals MC squared, that great forbiddance that says you can only travel at the speed of light, and the closer you get to it, the more mass multiplies into an infinite size. Well, you know, it almost makes it impossible to take a physical conveyance, as we understand it, a spaceship, call it what you like, into that realm of movement, speed, whatever, without it being forbidding in terms of the increment of the mass of that thing. So I wondered what on earth can actually break this thing? What kind of intelligence can do this? And if that intelligence can do this, it's bound to be something that surpasses ours, logically, obviously, because we're using chemical um, engines to get to the moon, and that with difficulty too. And here we are, we see thousands and thousands of pilot reports of these things noticed by some of the most credible witnesses, highly trained observers of things, astronauts, as I say, really experienced airline pilots coming in with hundreds of reports per year. We've now got something like 50,000 reports, official reports to authorities, flying authorities around the world by these people saying they are seeing these structures, these things that travel sometimes 30, 40,000 miles an hour, making right-angled turns, disappearing in front of their eyes, seeing huge size mechanisms. Gordon Cooper actually landed with one on one of the American Air Force bases. He took a photograph of it and he sent it over to the authorities. He'd never heard, he, he didn't hear anything since that was done about anything, everything was kept secret and so on. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, one of your most distinguished and respected astronauts, you, of course, I've, I'm sure you've heard of the, the very famous um, 
um, revelation recently at the Washington Press Club, where some of the most distinguished and respected people told the world that these things are here. Now, if we have an intelligence of that size hiding, not revealing themselves on this earth, if that intelligence that can come here past this Einsteinian adjunct is in fact something that hides from us, I want to know why that is. Because if it's good, if it's benevolent and gives us a benediction, it will open the valves and we would have free energy, we would have zero-point energy, we would have all those wonders given to us. We wouldn't have to fight over oil or water or whatever. We would have a wonderful world set in the gel of an emancipated kind of being lent to us from the stars, so to speak. But you know something, Heidi. Look at us and the way we treat anything inferior to us. For instance, you know, we Euro-Caucasians went out and had the world by the neck, so to speak. We colonized other countries. We actually did the most terrible things to these people through colonization, as I say. And look at what we do to the animal kingdom, for instance. We use them as though they are just simply there to serve our purposes. Now, can you imagine if something comes here past the speed of light and has the power, the technological power, to do that? It would be immensely superior to us. If indeed they are hiding from us and not being open and honest with us, could their intentions for us be something like the way we use each other any inferior stance to us, as we humans prove we do, if they do the same to us, we're in big, big trouble. <laughs> and so the logic of it is, it is much more likely that if they're here and they're hiding and there's no doubt that they're hiding and they're being hidden in this world of ours over the, th the last 40 years, you know, the discoveries I've made about the, the networks and the way these things are done is probably the more interesting story than, than the fact that these things are here, in fact. What is hiding them? Why are they being hidden? What do they need from us? What do we, as a far less developed, shall we say, species than they are, what do we have that they might want, that they want to hide to get it? And no. so you know, the simple logical questions I asked myself in trying to answer my little boy's question then, he's now quite a big boy, I should say, <laughs> he's in his 30s. And this young prompt actually opened out for me something that I would never have thought before. So as I say, as a, a writer and a journalist and someone who's always wanted to, to do something outside the box, so to speak, and that's really where you see the truth, by the way, not stuck in with everyone else's predilections and rehashing and re-stewing the same old broths all the time, to actually look at things in a way that one would hope uh, that uh, one would be, uh, one would hope is emancipated, shall we say, uh, and, and open to interesting ways of exploration.
And that's really, I'm sorry, it's a long-winded monologue, but you asked me the question how this all happened, and I wanted to tell you seriously now that this was not something I searched myself. <laughs> I had much better things to do than write about UFOs and so on. But I tell you what, I've come to the conclusion, and I came to the conclusion a long time ago, in fact, that these things are something we all, every single human being who's a mother or father, indeed, particularly if they're a mum and dad, has to look at, if they're going to look at the eyes of their little ones and make something of their lives meaningful. Fully get where you're coming from, because it's like, it, 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 you're hinting at the fact that, uh, you know, here's all these, these uh, le legitimate people that are coming forward and claiming to have seen and witnessed so many unbelievable feats being done by these various crafts all over the world. And our governments are just, you know, not even given a nod that, that they heard word of it. I mean, if, if a person said that they witnessed a murder in this country, that's good enough evidence, you know, to probably put somebody away for the rest of their lives. But here yeah. we'll have a whole crowd of people saying, look at my video, look what happened. They took my child and I don't know when it's ever been okay that a child has been abducted by anybody or anything was, it was ignored. But when it comes to aliens, it is. And I think it's a, a major problem. And I've, I've asked the same question to myself. What on earth do we have that they don't have if they are so advanced? And the only conclusion, and I, I have a feeling that you're going the same direction that I came in uh, writing my book, The Secret War, based on positive and negative aliens, it goes to, down to matters of the soul. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just what it is. And uh, I, I find it very fascinating that, you know, the you know people just haven't been very logical in uh, approaching this sometimes and and why our governments are not giving us the time of day on this stuff and and that we're having to scramble among ourselves and and try to yeah. figure it out among ourselves I, I i feel like we've been left hanging i don't know about you nigel but <laughs> i feel like i've been left hanging on this yeah, indeed. The whole point about it is that unless someone gets out there and stirs the pot, pot, so to speak, and actually gets these guys into a situation where they have to come out in the open with all of this, they will procrastinate about this and they will keep this thing as secret as they can. And that in itself is an, a very intriguing motive as to why this whole thing has been hidden. Why are individuals of our own genre our own genetic construct, shall we say. Why are these people hiding or helping the alien quantum, shall we say, to hide on our planet? That really is something that we real, everyone has to, to stir the pot and make all the noise they possibly can, clang all tins they can clang, and get the world to actually look at this and give us a plausible answer to it. I'm sure there may well be a, a manifestable answer that doesn't show a threat. But I tell you what, I have tried to look at that as a dad, to try to come up with some solution that is not negative, Heidi. And I have to say, despite all my efforts, I cannot see any other postulation but to say that this business is mischievous. It's something really awful going on here. What can we as living beings 
give them the technology that they don't already have and probably surpass. We have a sec- thing called the second law of thermodynamics, Heidi. Now, this law, as you probably know, is a devastating one. And it sim- put simply, it says that all things left to themselves get into greater states of randomness and chaos with time. I said that slowly because I would like people to, to, to look at this carefully. The second law of thermodynamics, it's a basic law of the universe. It applies all through the universe. It's tested, tried and tested and proven every which way. It's the most reliable tenet, if you like, some claim in the entire scientific aegis. And that law is telling us that everything rots. Nothing goes the other way. That our universe is a universe that's going to end sometime. It's not going to have a new beginning or a transformation into something wondrous. Well, if that's the case for all life in the universe, because that law is all-pervasive, and if our planet is anything to go by in terms of all the terrible things we do to each other, well, let me say that out there, the more technology you get, the more likely it is with this law running to take and break things apart, that we're going to do that rather than bring things together again. And that's what gave me the clue as to where and how we might continue in the other way, in the positive way, in the wondrous way. And that's how I'm looking for that kind of answer. What is it about us that's so different to a machine? Of course, the the consensus view now is that these greys and many of these things that are supposed to be seen as alien are in fact androids, machines, very advanced synthetic life forms actually made and created, a glorified vacuum cleaner, I like like to put it that way. But with a quantum computer, artificial intelligence, that far surpasses our own brainstem's capacity, shall we say. And if this is so, we have a big, big problem here because you cannot... They're run on programs being machines, obviously. They don't have free will. They cannot change their minds as any machine can't know itself or change its own trend of action. It'll always slavishly follow a program. But if these things are programmed and sent out there as we send robots to look at asteroids and so on, if they have been sent by some advanced planet out there in in the universe, they're out here searching for, shall we say, threats to the beings or the natural beings on that planet, well, and they don't know the difference between what is natural and what is artificial and synthetic, because you can't program that as a command into a machine. You can't tell a machine the difference with something that can have imagination, feelings. You can't program those things or write a program to point out the difference between a natural being and an artificial being. So you've got the big battle lines drawn here between what is natural coming with the birth of the universe from the point where all things were together and you got the other extent of it, that, was been cre- that which has been created during the course of the running of the universe, and that running is to an end, is to rotting to some kind of finite 
finish, if you like. And so when you put that into the uh, potpourri, so to speak, you begin to see that we as living beings are in one hell of a predicament here. What do we do to actually find out what these things might be and what do we have that they might want that a machine doesn't have? And that's the clue that actually opened the Pandora's box for me. We might have something to the other part of us, that part that's not physical, that must be magnificent and wonderful. I think we have what we call a soul. And the explanation of what a soul might be is a very interesting thing. And it's, it's through that that I went on into understanding what religion might be and what the Shroud of Turin might be. And I'm not a religious person. I have to say that to your listeners. I am somebody who loves the rational and so on. I think religion has been too, there's too much humbug in religion. And people are very, very skeptical about things in religion and so on. But... That's not the fault of the great founders of the religion who gave us wonderful scope for thinking and understanding. It's the fault of our own species in being its normal, usual self, you know, selfish and so on. So, sorry, again a monologue. I do apologize for it, but I have to try and string the dots together, so to speak, that maybe we can follow them later on. I'm anxious to hear more. You know, this is a great time to go to our first break. You guys, you're listening to me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander on Inception Radio Network, and we will be right back. You're listening to IRN, the Inception Radio Network, Chicago, Illinois. Hello guys, Jamie Havokin here for Heidi Hollis's The Outlander. Tune in to Inception Radio Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right after the stench of truth for The Outlander with host Heidi Hollis right here on Inception Radio Networks Fridays at 9 p.m. I'll see you there. Thank you. You didn't forget what's coming up tonight, did you? Hi, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Never miss that interview you were looking forward to or the show on your favorite topic. Follow IRN on Twitter, I underscore, R underscore N, and get reminders about the evening's live shows as well as fun and important updates throughout the week. That's I underscore, R underscore N, and never miss a great show again. Are you a fan of Inception Radio Network? Do you reckon it's the best alternative talk radio station on the planet? Well, if you do, head to facebook.com forward slash Inception Radio Network and like the page. Tell your friends, spread the word, and keep listening to the best. Hi, Bob Tarmac for MJsHealthyWay.com. Are you into vitamins, nutrition, meal replacements, health shakes, uh, keeping your body in good shape, your internal engine going? Boy, do I have a perfect place for you. MJ'sHealthyWay.com. They offer the best service and products, and they'll tell you anything you need to know about any product they have to offer. I get all my vitamins, meal replacements, shakes from MJ'sHealthyWay.com. That's spelled MJ'sHealthyWay.com. There's so much more at the website. Go check it out. 
mjshealthyway.com. Don't have a computer? Is your internet connection down? Don't worry. Use your trusty landline or cell phone and dial or call and listen lines at 832-280-0830 or 786-837-2262 to listen to the Inception Radio Network 24-7. Again, those numbers are 832-280-0830 or 786-837-2262. For the Inception Radio Network, I'm MJ. Hello, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Remember, you can take your Inception Radio shows on the go. Just download the Inception Radio Network app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android smartphones and access live shows, past shows, guest lineups, and much more. Just visit the iTunes Store or the Google Play Marketplace and download it today for free. Get advice. On aliens to ghosts, demons to angels, and from shadow people to the outlandish. Explore the paranormal with Heidi Hollis. The Outlander. Welcome, welcome back, everybody, to my awesome Friday evening. You are listening to me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander, with a hoarse voice, but it's okay. But we're remembering always, if it's weird, we're here, and so are you. So, yeah, you're among friends. We are giving you advice and insight on outlandish topics, and the phone lines are always open, 188-919-2355. And uh, we are talking to a couple of, well, soon, uh, the second person will be joining us, but we are talking to Nigel Kerner. And uh, Dr. Andrew Silverman will be joining us here shortly. Um, we are chatting about alien beings, the greys. What are they up to? And the Shroud of Turin. So, Nigel, whew, my goodness, we're getting into some deep stuff there. Now, <laughs> so, there's so much that's encompassing it into the what it is that you've been uh, involving yourself in. I mean, we're talking about the aliens and, and how they have these these grays that may not quite be hu- uh, human, uh, uh, how can we say, a sentient being, essentially, and they are mm, feeling around for our souls and they're having an interest in it. I mean, how, how, what do you think it is that they are truly seeking about our souls? And where do you think, uh, why do you think this is a goal? What would they, what would be the benefit of them, you know, poking around at us like that? Well, it's, it's quite simple. We are natural. We come in. Heidi, the, 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 uh, perhaps I can start by defining the soul as I see it. And I, I came to a definition trying really to understand what the greys might be as these kinds of artificial life forms, synthetic life forms. They're found when they do autopsies on them that they're made of a kind of mercury uh, mulch, sulfur mercury mulch with gold wires and stuff, and some kind of liquid that actually moves these things around to take great inertias 
or deceleration inertias in space travel. Now, if we travel at 30,000 miles an hour and we make a right-angle turn instantly, we'll be a stain on the window inside the spaceship. <laughs> you have to have something that can withstand enormous deceleration pressures in order to do this. Now, if these things are created entities to go out there and search for danger, and you program to look after you program them to look after themselves at all costs so they can do that job then you've got to show them what is going to be dangerous and what isn't is is not going to be dangerous so you have to form a differential argument in your program that clearly identifies you as the creator of them against their own auspice of themselves so to speak you see now if you don't do that properly and with their intelligence, they can outmaneuver things you do because you give them quantum, uh, shall we say, artificial intelligence and whatever, um, in, in quantum computer mode, so to speak. And uh, to put it simply, I don't want to get too technical about this because a lot of people don't understand computers and so on. If you can do that with one of these things, then you've got to make sure their intelligence doesn't actually cotton on to the fact that you are a danger to them too. And in order to do that, you have to have an exclusion clause in your program that says, hang on a minute, not us. But to give them the exclusion clause, you have to define how you are different from them. So in thinking about this myself, I wondered how we could actually do this? And of course the answer is, it is not possible to explain part of natural being, which is our soft, emancipated part, shall we say, not the pure hardware of atoms and bones and blood and the chemistry and all that kind of stuff, but as Andrew put it, puts it, the sentient side of us, the mental mind side of us, our thinking side of us, and our feeling side of us, and our imagination side of us, and all of those grand things that makes a tiny little form we call a human being on a planet grander than the universe in thought, so to speak. You know, the size of all and the wonders of the universe. We can envisage that, work all of that out. Now, a machine mind will just extrapolate on zero, one option, yes or no. And you can pile this on in various quantums and so on and ways and so forth and increase it, but it simply still thinks zero, one. Once it's programmed, it can't go against the trend. You can't go along and make an exception and say, oh, this is different, so I'll act differently in this. Everything has to be told it. It will form its intelligence on compound measures. It'll go into the next thing, it, new thing it finds, and it'll find an array for that and so forth, but add-ons, if you like. But it cannot think originally, and so that's the big deal. Now, what do we have? We have, because we start with the universe, we have all the information of the universe coded in us because we began at a point before that Big Bang spread everything out from a coherent single singularity point. And we come in with all that knowledge, Heidi, through our mum and our dad and our granddad and great-granddad and so on, going all the way back to that single point. And all that information, if you like, is somewhere coded in us 
because we are now, as individuals, you and I and everyone that's living, and I'm talking about animals too, we are the last contemporary moment of that big bang. We are connected all the way back. But a machine is not. A machine can come in at any time and be created by anything like, like a natural living species like us. So being natural and living, we bring in all that information in us. We can call that a record, that record of all that information, a consciousness. And that consciousness then drives us in what we call making choices in free will. Now, I, I don't want to go into a semantic argument about free will. <laughs> that will take hours and hours and, and, and great minds and, and, con and controversy and so on. But let me tell you that my conclusion to that, you'll have to, to take my word for, it, for me, so to speak. I believe there is such a thing as free will, exemplarily free will, and that because we have this wonderful thing, I think a machine in observing us would want two things from us. That capacity of all that knowledge we have to be downloaded onto it or it can hack into us so it can get it. And also the power to naturally reproduce, recreate as we do in, in the way we, you know, we, we uh, living things multiply themselves and so on. So I think these two things are like Pinocchio trying to become a boy. That is their big deal here. They've come across this planet, their machines out exploring the universe, they find this primitive kind of man, they, they engineer at one stage this primitive man to produce a larger brain, a larger size, to actually receive their quantum computer knowledge, so to speak. All of a sudden, strangely, in, say, 200,000 years ago or so, a small man, human, primitive man, has a pelvic girdle to admit a brain three times the previous size it was, when for five million years previous to that, nothing like that happened. It was all going down. It was actually not evolution. It was devolution down. So these things came here, and with their technology, they found a natural species. They multiplied that species from the capacity it had then into a grander state and then wanting to use that and for their reasons only they have since then cultivated all of us different types of human being different genres of human being different if you like genetic schemes of human being for their purposes and their purposes only. And I believe that's the big secret that's been going on on this planet for tens of thousands of years, that we are laboratory mice to these things. They are growing us for their own purposes so that they can then download, like you hack into a mobile phone, you download their mind force into us. Now, can I tell you, a wonderful model that I can kind of conceived of of understanding what a soul might be. I said that a soul is all the information from the Big Bang coming up to this particular point, and every single one of us has this information locked in. But of course, it's hidebound in different people. Some have more of it than others because it's more open in them. But we all have the full lot. We just 
tend to close it individually and not use it properly, if you see what I'm trying to say. So here we have this whole line or repository of information to now. Well, these things come in here, these machine types, they see that this we have an ability to care, to feel. Even primitive man would love and feel a babe. Of course, a machine wouldn't know what that means. And it also sees that we can reproduce automatically, that babies are born and so on. And they see, hang on a minute, this is a good propensity to have. They analyze with their computers and they say, we'd like this. So they will then set up their own experimental tour de force to try to make us as much as they can be in terms of the reservoir of knowledge in their mindedness, so their programs, so to speak. So then set about creating a type of human being that could take this on. Now, I'll tell you how it might be done. What do you do when you make a message on your mobile phone? You tap something into a pad and you create a unique assembly of shapes of force, really, basically. All those letters and things are really force being molded in a particular form that we can figure out in terms of language and understanding and so on. But basically, it's making force accumulate as a message. Now, what do we do then, Heidi? We press a button... And that message, uniquely your message, perhaps goes 10,000 miles across oceans, through walls, through water, through absolutely everything. And because it's digitized, it's made of very simple instructions, making more complex meanings, it can be retranslated 10,000 miles away at a press of a button, and this thing that you don't see, this invisible thing that goes through walls and everything, can be reconciled and reorganized into something tangible to the receiver of the message. So you have an incredible power here, which you don't see. What a matchup! And what a tea, Mike! Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive! Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. That's important. It's invisible, right? Now, to me, a soul is very much... Now, in a, mo in, in a mobile phone, you can hack into that. You can actually intercept that message and put something else on there. Or you can take that message and actually get something completely appended to it that completely falsifies the message. Well, I say to you, that we as human beings, this is going to sound absolutely bizarre, but you can prove this for yourself. You can okay. do the research yourself. We have a property of electromagnetic creation as our bodies do. And I think our hearts are a generator, if you like, the battery that pushes hemoglobin, which is iron, you know. It's, right. it's iron in the blood, so to speak. And if you move anything in a coil, you produce an electromagnetic field. That can then produce all kinds of artifacts that I think make us a kind of 
incredible mobile phone mechanism, only much more sophisticated than the machine type because we have imagination coded into that, we have feeling encoded into that, and of course when the heart stops beating, this message, if you like, just like the mobile phone message that you tap, moves away from the body and still exists in an sp- electronic form, and that then can be docked into by an intelligence that is greater than ours with their kind of machine ability, and that thing then becomes something to find a womb to be born again, but this time hybridized by these creatures being appended, their intelligence being appended on it. So we may be having in our world people being born much more like machines. And the prophecy of the ancient prophecy now, comes... Now I know what the problem is, my goodness. <laughs> but it, I, I got you. No, I, I see what you're saying. But uh, it, it's, it's interesting because there are a lot of people who are claiming to be half alien walking around here, believe it or not. And a lot of them uh, claim to have been abducted by these alien beings and having been uh, manipulated by them in some form. And oftentimes they remember having an, a previous alien existence and, uh, and, and feeling disconnected, uh, cold even. And, and they're, they're told that they're awkward, uh, socially uh, awkward even. So it, it's, it's interesting, the, the perspective that you have on um, matters of the soul when it comes to this. Now, there is also something that um, you have this, this, this connection that goes in with the Shroud of Turin, because I want to be sure we get Dr. Silverman in here uh, discussing uh, how does that how does that combine with the alien phenomena? I mean, the Shroud of Turin, I mean, that's the, the death cloth, a, a cloth of Jesus. I mean, how, how can you connect the well, two? I believe that Jesus came here to save us from the greys. Mm-hmm. He is the antithesis of machine-minded thinking. And he had a property, a special property, if you like, of understanding the terrifying threat that these things produced to us. I'll give you some examples of quotes from the Bible. It makes it very clear when you've got this idea, it makes it very clear that this is obvious. For instance, if you take the temptation of Jesus, Heidi, this honcho comes along and says, come with me, I'm taking you to a high place. Jesus seems to go under some kind of impulsion, and he gets to this high place in in Judea. Now, I've been to Judea and Jerusalem, and let me tell you, there ain't a high place (laughs) high enough to see all the cities of the world as is described in the Bible. But I tell you what, if you go straight up in the sky, say 50 miles, you will see all the cities of the world relevant at that time that mattered from that central point in Judea. And also, if you look at all the land masses of the world, Heidi, in a flat plane, so to speak, rather than in the round as it would appear in a sphere, in a flat plane, including America on the left, Alaska, and Kamchatka in, in the Soviet Union on the right, New Zealand at the bottom, and Tierra del Fuego, you will find that Jerusalem is slap dam in the middle. Hmm. of all that. It's an amazing thing. And I believe that Christ and his entire sojourn on the earth has been mistaken for some religious thing when in fact he really came to save us by warning us that we have 
in with us some artificial modus working on us and actually planning to take what is natural in us that goes to his world, shall we say, wherever he came from, with us, with him, taking us with him into that world, and that propensity would be curtailed if this artificial lot weren't stopped. Because if you're hybridized by a machine and your brain has been, shall we say, taken over by some alien, you're neither an alien or a human being. You really have no central identity that refers you straight back to the beginning. You are carrying something that might dope your mindedness, your sentience forever, that will prevent you getting perhaps to another reality where we needed to be natural to get into. And I think that's what Jesus comes in on. And I, when I saw this and wrote about it in my book, Andrew's been a, a very uh, cherished colleague of mine for years. And of course, he's, he looks at the science of this all, and he looked clearly at the Shard. He's one of the most informed people um, on the actual technicalities of, of the Shard of Turin. And of course, when we looked at the, the Shard of Turin and found out now what it really is, and I I don't want to talk about the technicalities. I'll leave you in the, in the capable hands of Andrew to do that. Yeah, no, I understand. Now, when it comes to, and now you're saying that you don't look at uh, the Shroud of Turin as being something uh, of a religious aspect, and you don't believe that Jesus came here in that sense. Um, so does the, does the science, does the, you know, what's ever behind the Shroud of Turin, does that support that, that your thesis, that this is more of don't, a technological don't, don't, or is this something kind of mystical? No doubt about it. This is a piece of science that confounds the greatest minds. This incredible piece of cloth, and I really don't want to take away from Andrew because he knows all the technical details of this, but let me say this much. In forming the latest research in actually explaining the formation of that image reveals something so, so outstanding the awesomely different. I want Andrew to tell you what it is, so I, I, I'll keep my mouth shut. Okay, no, that's fine. Uh, Andrew Silverman, are you there? Yes, I'm here, yes. So um, the thing about the Shroud, it's, it's fascinating because it's something that nobody can replicate, even with modern 21st century technology. It's been studied by by forensic experts who can find no other explanation for the marks on it and the, the bloodstains and so on, other than that it once wrapped the recently dead body of a man who had been tortured and crucified, someone who had been, he'd been whipped many times, he'd had a, like a helmet of thorns placed on his, on his head and he'd been pierced in the side and, and he'd been crucified. Um, now, the, the point is that Many people were, you know, said at the time of the of the carbon dating back in the late 1980s, they thought that this was a medieval forgery. But nobody can account for how it could be made as a forgery. It's not a painted image. It's it's not any kind of thing that can be replicated, as I say, even with 21st century technology. And the thing is that the part that was carbon dated was actually taken from a corner of the cloth that had been repaired in the, in the 16th century. And this was demonstrated by a Los Alamos scientist who actually published it in a, a peer-reviewed journal, a scientific journal, 
demonstrating the evidence that the the carbon dating was wrong, not because of any kind of conspiracy, not because they didn't do the proper work on the samples that they were given, but the problem was the samples that were taken were not representative of the rest of the cloth. Now, it's the evidence that looking at the shroud from so many different aspects to do with the weave of the cloth, to do with the, the pollens that have been found on it, place the, the shroud around the area of Judea, around Jerusalem, to have been uh, the person that was, that was the dead body that was wrapped in it, as someone who was tortured and crucified in around, it would have been around March or April, judging by the pollens that are on there, in Jerusalem. And we know historically that this would have happened uh, between, the, between the years of, of 6 and 66, which was ju- the time during which the victims of crucifixion, the Roman victims of the victims of Roman crucifixion, only during those times were they not just left out to the to the birds to be to be eaten away and so on. And there was an insistence at the time by there was a, a, a Jewish figurehead who had some power in in Judea who managed to persuade the Romans to let the the victims of the Roman crucifixion at least have a have a traditional Jewish burial, which meant that they were taken down quickly. So, as I say, the, the blood stains on the cloth and the, the serum marks and various other forensic uh, aspects of the, of the cloth, which would take hours to go into in, in, in full detail, and- do demonstrate that it once wrapped the dead body of a man who had been tortured, whipped and crucified. But there's something else specifically mm-hmm. unique to this cloth and nothing else, and that is the image on the cloth, which for, for, many, for many centuries was thought to have been just a, a very faint image that looked vaguely like the, the shape of a man. And then in the late 19th century, after, soon after the advent of uh, photography, the first person who was allowed to, to photograph the shroud the story goes that he nearly dropped his photographic plate when he saw the negative picture of the shroud because a negative picture of the shroud is a positive. What that means is that the image of the of the cloth is a perfect photographic negative. Now, why would a forger want to make something that you would only really see that it's a clear image several centuries later once photography was developed? When you look at the, at the cloth microscopically, you don't see any sign of paint. Nothing has been added to the cloth. The image is only less than a hair's thickness into the cloth, only on the surface fibrils. And it's, it's sort of pixelated, if you like, at a, at, a, at a microscopic level. And then another amazing discovery was made about it in the 1970s by uh, some scientists using some... Uh, research equipment from from NASA actually that had been used in in lunar reconnaissance called a VP8 analyzer. What this does is it looks at the intensity of the image and and looks for distance coding in it. So what you do is you you put an image underneath this machine and it brings it out in relief. So if you put an ordinary photograph in this device, you get a random set of peaks and troughs. But if you put an image of the shroud in there, it comes out at you in perfect relief so that you can see the three-dimensional aspect of the man that it once wrapped. Now, these features of the, of the, of the image 
Firstly, that it's a photographic negative in its properties, that it contains distance-coded information, and also the actual change in the fibrils is it's like what happens if you leave paper out in sunlight and it turns yellowish, it turns a sepia color. It's kind of what the chemists call oxidation and dehydration. This is what happens to the cellulose in it. And some wonderful research that was done at the Atomic Energy Institute in, in Italy, in, in Frascati, using ultraviolet lasers, found that they were able to replicate at the microscopic level the s similar changes only affecting the surface fibrils of, of a cloth when they had a short intense burst of radiant energy. Now the thing is that to, to include that and also have the photographic negative properties and distance coding it would imply that the radiant energy burst had to come from the dead body of the man that the shroud once wrapped. Very so, fascinating. You, you know, I hate to stop you right there, but we have to get to our last break here. Wow, this, this is getting really deep. You guys, you're listening to me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander, on Inception Radio Network, and we will be right back. You're listening to IRN, The Inception Radio Network, Chicago, Illinois. Hello guys, Jamie Havokin here for Heidi Hollis's The Outlander. Tune in to Inception Radio Fridays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right after the stench of truth for The Outlander with host Heidi Hollis, right here on Inception Radio Networks, Fridays at 9 p.m. I'll see you there. Thank you. Hi, Inception Radio Network listeners. This is Amanda. Just a reminder that Inception Radio Network is on Twitter. Follow us at I underscore R underscore N and keep up to date about who's on tonight, what interviews they'll be doing, who's guest spotting, what topics they'll be covering. Tweet to us, tweet about us, retweet topics to your friends, and most importantly, never miss a great show again. That's I underscore R underscore N. Don't have a computer? Is your internet connection down? Don't worry. Use your trusty landline or cell phone and dial or call and listen lines at 832-280-0830 or 786-837-2262 to listen to the Inception Radio Network 24-7. Again, those numbers are 832-280-0830 or 786-837-2262. For the Inception Radio Network, I'm MJ. Are you a fan of Inception Radio Network? Do you reckon it's the best alternative talk radio station on the planet? Well, if you do, head to facebook.com forward slash Inception Radio Network and like the page. Tell your friends, spread the word, and keep listening to the best. Hi, Bob Tarmac for MJsHealthyWay.com. Are you into vitamins, nutrition, meal replacements, health shakes, uh, keeping your body in good shape, your internal engine going? <laughs> Boy, do I have a perfect place for you. MJ'sHealthyWay.com. They offer the best service and products, and they'll tell you anything you need to know about any product they have to offer. I get all my vitamins, meal replacements, shakes, 
from MJsHealthyWay.com. That's spelled MJsHealthyWay.com. There's so much more at the website. Go check it out, MJsHealthyWay.com. smartphone if so inception radio network is the best app for you available on itunes android samsung and most other app stores just search inception radio network with the app you can listen live check out podcasts of recent and past shows view our videos see what shows are coming up who the guests are and via the chat room send live questions to those guests you know it makes sense check your app store now inception radio network i'll see you there Get advice on aliens to ghosts, demons to angels, and from shadow people to the outlandish. Explore the paranormal with Heidi Hollis. The Outlander. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. Remembering, always, if it's weird, we are here, and you are too, so, hey, what can you say? The phone lines are always open, 188-919-2355, and I am speaking to Dr. Andrew Silverman and Nigel Kerner, and we're talking about the Shroud of Turin, and uh, Dr. Silverman, I wanted to get a little bit of your background, because it's interesting. Here you are, a medical doctor, and to be honest with you, I don't know of any medical doctors who are looking into such things, though it's, you know, I, I commend you for it because I, I can't imagine that this is a very popular thing that you're doing among your colleagues, but what got your attention to look into this topic? I mean, this is, this is kind of far-fetched topic, so what got you there? Well, um, actually, when I was um, just a, a teenager, um, I saw a documentary, The, the Silent Witness, about the, about the Turin Shroud, which was talking about these amazing aspects of the image that no one could account for. And uh, one, of the, one of the scientists on, on that program was talking about how it appeared that the, that the image had been, had been formed by a, a short, intense burst of radiant energy from this dead body. And I, I was you know, always interested in science, even at that stage. So that was a, a fascinating thing for me to try to consider how how could such a thing happen and you see to me science doesn't need to to place borders and boundaries on what it's on what it's allowed to consider for example in quantum mechanics for for over 70 years now uh, there have been many scientists who have been recognizing that you can't really understand matter without understanding consciousness and not in the sense that that consciousness is a product of matter, but that matter is only is only real because of consciousness. That consciousness is the primary thing, and there's been so much work in, for example, in near death experiences where where the brain waves go flat and uh, people are still recall after they're resuscitated having been conscious during that time, and they they have these what are known as veridical near death experiences where they see things that they couldn't have physically known about. And this has led many doctors, psychiatrists, and various types of scientists to recognize that 
actually, this isn't the product of, a, of, a, of an oxygen-starved brain, but this is a clue to us that our understanding of, of the human mind, of what it is to be a sentient being, is, is far narrower than the, than the truth of it, that we're actually far more than we realize in potential. And the fact that if this, if this happened, that what the evidence suggests happened in, in, the, in that tomb in Judea, that this dead body somehow for momentarily shone brighter than the sun. And, you know, how did that happen? Well, it's interesting that if you look at the, the forensic aspects of the shroud, it's always, it tends to be assumed that, that this body was, was flat on a slab. But if you actually look at the, at the image on the, on the shroud, you see two different types of thing. You've got the bloodstains on there, and the, the pattern of the bloodstains is consistent with a, with a dead body in, in rigor mortis on a, on a flat surface. But the actual image of the body, which isn't composed of blood, but it's a change in the surface fibrils, when you look at the shape of the body, there's no flattening at the back. The muscles at the back of the body aren't flattened as they would have been with the body lying on a slab. And the hair is not hanging down behind the man, as you would expect, but it's hanging down on his shoulders. And, you know, what? I went to a, a conference in, in Italy, in, in Frascati, at the Atomic Energy Institute, where the uh, research was done that I was talking to you about before right. regarding the lasers right. and and there was another uh doctor a physician from the states actually uh dr lavoy who who pointed out and I, I must admit until i heard him say it it never occurred to me although it was staring me in the face all this time that what you're seeing and the the image of the the man on the shroud is not a flat body slab, uh, on a slab supine lying flat on its back you're looking at an upright vertical man and so this is a dead body that has suddenly become vertical so is it standing no it's not if you look at the feet the feet are on two different levels from each other and, and they're sort of pointing down it looks as though strange as it may sound but this is what the scientific empirical evidence is suggesting that at the moment that the image on the cloth formed this dead body was upright and suspended in the air now we have to ask who was this man the man of the shroud now, there's so much evidence, you could say it's circumstantial, but it's sufficient evidence that in any other case, if people have said, if there was so much evidence that, uh, that pointing to the shroud, this shroud being of Jesus of Nazareth, if it was any other archaeological object pointing to something being related to some other historical figure, it would have been accepted years ago. Because there is actually, this has been studied uh, in, in great scientific detail, far more than, than any other artifact. So if it was Jesus of Nazareth, then is there some clue perhaps in, in his life, in what he taught and, and in how he lived? See, it's interesting that it looks forensically, and this wouldn't have been known by people in medieval times who didn't know about forensics, who didn't know about photography, who didn't know about VP8 image analyzers and a microscopic uh, analysis of the, of the threads and the cloth. But the evidence, when you look at it with modern technology, you can see that it looks as though this dead body had been suspended above the ground and suddenly shone brighter than the sun. Now, it's interesting that there are at least anecdotal reports 
of this particular individual, Jesus of Nazareth, during his lifetime, when he was alive, for example, walking on the water or rising above the ground and on a mountain he was seen by his friends who had gone up with the mountain with him to, to suddenly be, be shining. So it's interesting that there is evidence on the cloth which wouldn't have been known about until the, we had our modern technology to unco- uncover it, that actually those same things might have happened after, after his death. And to me, it, this, he was a human being, you see. Um, there's nothing on the shroud pointing to any particular religious institution or, or denomination. What we see is a human being there who had been, who had been cruelly tortured and, and killed, and then his dead body, this transformation had, had happened to it. And to me, the fascinating thing with him being a human being is that it might be pointing to the potentiality of all human beings to not be trapped as atomic, material, solid, physical things, if you like, because we have something that makes us bigger than all of that, bigger than the universe. If we have, if we have sentience, if we have, a, as Nigel was saying, such a thing as, as free will, then that gives us the power of beyond any other power because we're actually in control of time itself. We're the only thing that can decide what, what happens no. outside of forces making it happen. I want to be sure that you said something, if I heard you clearly. Did you say that witnesses said that they saw light coming from uh, Jesus' head or something? And, and no, I, that- I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the, the references in, in the, for example, in the, in the Gospels and so on, which are said to, to have been reports from uh, originally mm-hmm. from people who were witnesses in his him. in his lifetime that had been passed on that, that, that so that's why I called it anecdotal because I it's see. it's just a report but it was said that that when he went on the mountain with with Peter James and John that they saw him being you know, shining in front Truly. of them that there was right. light coming from him exactly and you and you have evidence of this coming from the the shroud potentially we have evidence that um, that what I can say is that there is evidence that the image on the shroud is consistent, logic is it sort of empirically consistent with the possibility that Energy. it could have formed by light coming from the from the the dead body but, that was wrapped you, in the shroud. Not that anyone okay. has seen this light, right? Um, but, but, but you personally the, the shroud still are, of it. You still personally are saying he was human, though he was glowing. Yes. Really? I, I mean, I don't know any glowing people, but um, I mean, I, I, I am a little bit biased because I, I am a Christian. And uh, yeah, so, I, well, I mean, it's, so it's, just, it's just something different. I mean, I, sure. I, I hear of the, you know, it, there's evidence in the shroud that this was something that cannot be replicated. Uh, he, he was yeah. glowing and there's evidence of that, but he was human. So I, I'm just, not saying he's yeah. not special, but, but yeah. if, you, if you take what, what he himself said, or at least is reported to have said, all these things you see me do, you also can do. And he said, is it not written, you are gods? And remember that mm-hmm. um, he, I was talking about the fact that the shroud, evidence on the shroud suggests that the body may have been risen above the ground at the time that the image formed. And I, I spoke about him having walked on the water and I said he was a human being. Well, remember that the story goes, anecdotally at least, that an individual, uh, Simon Peter, also walked on the water, another human being. And, you know, um, he always was in, if you actually look at, at what he said, 
He was pointing to the immense and limitless potential of, of all human beings. So for example, he never claimed to have healed anyone. He always told them that their faith had, had healed them. And he, he said that, you know, if, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, that you could make the mountain move. He was saying that, and it's interesting that, that the, um, if you look at the reports of when he went up that mountain and shone, just immediately after that in the text, it says that when he came down from the mountain and his apostles were, um, had been trying to do certain things to, to help people heal them and so on, and it hadn't been successful. And they asked him the question, why couldn't we do these things? As so though the question, it, it wasn't, it was already assumed that they had the potential to do those things that he did, but something was stopping them. And he, and he said it, that it was to do with their attitude and focus of mind, he said, because of their unbelief. And the same with, with Peter when he, when he seemed to, to fall into the water. The, the story goes that he, that he suddenly doubted. So what that implies is that a connection between mind and matter that depending on how, how mind is, is focused, if you like, that it can have limitless, potentially limitless power. And but, now even that as try- a, but even as a doctor yourself, I mean, there would have been some kind of duplication, replication of this having happened if after all these many centuries, uh, we've had a lot of practice then to be able to be Jesus-like. But um, when it comes to uh, the healing thing, I, I personally... Uh, I wrote a book about, uh, I had an encounter with Jesus, healed me of an incurable disease, and many others have similar claims. So, and then we've got evidence on the, sh- on the Shroud of Turin that shows he, there was something special, there was something different. So it's just, it's shocking to me that, you know, I thought, to me, your evidence shows more that there was truly something special about this man named yeah. Jesus than, than in, the opposite. In, in what he achieved, so just, what he said that, any, that we can all achieve. As he said, all these things you see me do, you also can do. Oh yeah, there, there's many people that uh, yeah that have that opinion. That I'm, I'm not saying that that lots of people have done these things. I'm saying that that he was showing us an example of of what a human being can be, and it, when it reach when we reach our full if we can reach our full potential. It's it, it's interesting. I mean, I I truly thought you were going in a total different direction uh, than than where you went with it. So, it, but it's it's fascinating. I mean, you've got the science behind it. Uh, I guess it depends on it's subjective to the person that's listening. You know, where your conclusions, you know, how it's interpreted according to people's beliefs, I suppose, including you know, here I am telling you, it was like, hey, look, I've I've had a healing. You know, this is this is something that uh, I personally have you know, experience. So it's, it, but then the scientific communi- community and others who are, you know, Jesus was an equal, they, that's their belief. I mean, they would be like, yeah, that's, that's the way. So, it, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of different yeah. varying yeah. opinions. I'm not saying he's the same as everyone else. I'm saying that he pointed to the fact that, that people had the potential to, to become like him. I'm not saying that, that well, they have become like him, you see. Oh well, yeah, so, I see what you mean. Yeah. But I, no, I mean, I, 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 the, the remarkable thing about Andrew is that he's, he's, he's Jewish and he has this incredibly beautiful um, generosity of spirit to actually look at the shroud as, as if you like, as secularly as possible. And he comes to the conclusion, right? If anything, you know, you have this antipathetic stance that many Jewish people take towards the Christian uh, ideal of Jesus, shall we say. I, too, was baptized a Roman Catholic. I have to tell you that, but I really have uh, became uh, a Christian after that, and, and now I got a little bit wiser, I think, and I'm looking at it as neutrally as possible. And I think what Andrew is trying to say is that 
in in no way can Jesus be seen as the, as as the same as everybody else. But what he's saying is that everybody else can be exactly like Jesus if they but cast away the shadows of doubt and uncertainty and all the rest of it that we're all subject to. And that's an extremely different, difficult take, isn't it, Heidi, to actually oh, no. tell oh, people? Oh, trust me. I, there, there are a million New Agers out here who are like, we're all Jesus. We're all equal. I mean, I've heard, I've heard this. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. And I'm honestly, I'm a person who's like, I have many Muslim Jewish friends and Israeli friends even. I mean, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I respect everybody's belief, but, you know, I, but everything is subjective when it comes to something that's of faith of, of some sort. So, yeah. um, you know, and it's, it's related to that, you know, so it's, it's just, I find it fascinating still because to me it, it ups my faith a bit, but it might up the faith of the scientific community too. Who knows? Well, but that's I'm, the most important it, thing you see. This is the incredible yeah. thing as you put your finger on it, Heidi, there when you said that, because in doing it scientifically, you get, right. if you like a neutral standpoint that doesn't look in any religious direction whatsoever. I was at the same meeting, uh, scientific, scientific meeting that Andrew was at Frascati, and of course we heard about these incredible uh, discoveries in pure laboratory science terms with this piece of cloth. And, you know, the latest thing, I think you ought to know this, Italian scientists said in their report uh, that a short, intense burst of directed UV radiation can color the cloth to reproduce many of the peculiar characteristics that we see on the image of the Shroud of Turin. But the amazing thing is this, that it would require a degree of power that cannot be reproduced by any normal UV source built to date on this planet. In fact, the power required to create such an image would be in the region of, and I, scientists will understand this, but I'm sure a lot of your lay people will understand it too, in the region of 34,000 billion watts of energy. Now, that kind of power is what an atomic bomb puts out at its first flash. So here is, as Andrew says, dead cells, dead aggregation of being, coming to enlivenness, shall we say, in a power that actually scorches what was happening to it, to the body, on a cloth. And that, that cloth takes on 3D holographic types of characteristics that you know, Heidi, no other picture in the world today has. Now, that happened you know, 2,000 years ago. So what I'm trying to say myself is that I believe that this being Jesus was already extraordinary in, in the sense that they, he had a development far in excess of most human beings, if not all human beings. That's not to say there haven't been perhaps human beings in other persuasions or in other times that may have reached that kind of threshold of eminence, if you like. But as far as we know, in the last 2,000 years, in terms of a provable quantum, like the Shroud, no evidence has come to light of anyone else other than this individual who was scourged, who had a an implement put on his head they call the crown of thorns. In fact, it was like a bush, really, basically. It was all crude and was mangled and beautiful form. This beautiful Jew was beaten to a pulp, 
crucified and then showed us there is something beyond death. That's the amazing thing that we all can achieve. And that's the clue to why I believe the alien. This is where I come in and make these connections with this incredible phenomenon we're seeing in terms of the grace. And when I look back in the Bible, you know, Heidi, and, and do the correlations and all the quotes and all the rest of it, it becomes absolutely plain that the most important directive that this being came with for our world he came shouting after all i've come to save you from what heidi what on earth could have been that so pervasive that this man's entire ethos was based upon saving us unless there was something so deadly and dangerous here that an intervention of some sort was necessary on behalf of us all and he demonstrated the power of that intervention and that we can escape the grip of these creatures because we have this incredible capacity coming from the beginning of the universe. The first apocalypse of James, for instance, in the Nag Hammadi Codex, you, know, you really have to go beyond the kind of Christian day-to-day -day, uh, um, journal type nonsense. <laughs> I think you read the real stuff is hidden away. The Christians themselves have hidden this away. And in the Nag Hammadi Codex, Jesus explains to the apostles James how to cope with these beings who take away souls by theft. What better description of an abduction could there be than that? He goes on to tell James, this is in the Nag Hammadi Codex, when he also says to you, where will you go? You say to him, to the place from which I have come, there shall I return. So he's again telling these people, listen, you're a machine. You come wherever you're made. I come from a beginning point as human beings, and we return to that beginning point. So we all have this wonderful propensity. That's the thing I don't want people to forget, really. Every single human being, no matter how humble, how badly treated, how Ross, or how bad they feel. And this, I, I'm, incidentally, I feel sorry you have a cold now, but you'll get over that. And I hope that one day, if you can understand what this beautiful Jew did and, and for us all, you too might go back to that place of beginning, incidentally, that now has been described as something that we all have to think about. There's a recent book out, I have to just mention this to you, by a, a, a doctor, a very illustrious uh, doctor, Dr. Eban Alexander, who is a neurosurgeon of great eminence, world eminence. Oh, yeah. And he had this near-death experience. I don't know if you've heard of it. Proof and he's written heaven, this yes. wonderful book, The Proof of Heaven. Yes, I One, have. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you are. And that's, I think, is what Andrew is trying to, to say about the, the, the Shard of Turin um, oh, yeah. uh, and his, 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 his uh, kind of uh, scientist researches into it, that he's trying to actually subtend and tell us, look, this whole thing is on. This is no myth. This is no fable. This is no wishful thinking. And as you said so eloquently, yes, we all have a part we can play in this and we can see our potential and, and healing and all the rest of it. If but we can get away from all the nonsense that has been fed into our minds that gives, us that, that gives us that moment of doubt, that moment of uncertainty, that moment of, look, if I do this, it might not work, that kind of thing. How, how do, you, do you do that in a world where everyone's on the take, everyone's on the make, if you see what I'm trying to say? Very difficult thing to do. 
But he came here. He came here, and I believe he actually set about this gray phenomenon, this alien phenomenon. Not because they're natural alien beings, by the way, but because I stress again, they are an artificial artifact of technology, and it's a lesson to us all: never make an android. Never transhumanize yourself by add-ons. And I tell you what, to me, that's the greatest danger that's coming. It is and also like something to- important to, to note, too. You're, you're mentioning about these, these alien beings, these negative beings. Uh, you know, and sometimes I think you know, a mixing of words with, with being aliens uh, compared to demons or angels. I mean, is there really any major difference between the two? And we only have a couple of minutes left, but I, and I want you guys to both put out your information there um, and uh, have the opportunity to, to tell people how to get a hold of your books as well. But, I mean, could you answer that real quick? I mean, could aliens uh, potentially be uh, I, I demons and it, angels? I think you put it in a nutshell there, absolutely, um, lyrically and in a very erudite way, if I may give you a compliment. There is no demon but alien machine type being that doesn't understand synthetic being these demons are all the power that this alien technology can convey right through a kind of mechanistic stance if you see what i mean and all this business about demons and all the rest of it yes you might have those, shall we say, soul fields with negative information that are floating around desperately and so on and touching people's personalities and whatever. And yes, there's a lot that can be seen to that and written about that. I don't throw that out at all. Um, I've got a completely open mind about it. But I tell you what, you're absolutely right. I think the real term for these these alien kind of, you know, synthetic types is that they are the demons of old. Oh, I, I truly believe that. I think that, you know, it's, it's one and the same. A lot of people are like, oh, gosh, you, you believe in aliens, you worship them or something. And it's like, look, I, use, use the same word in the sentence, switch it around, say demons, say angels. I mean, it, I think the actions of these beings speak very loudly as to who and what they are. And uh, I think common sense as you've been approaching the topic is what's needed to realize what it is we've been dealing with this whole while. And I don't think it's anything new. These beings, I think they've been around for a very long time, manipulating our world and us uh, unknowingly. And what is that saying? The greatest uh, trick the devil ever played is convincing people that he wasn't real. And here we are. I don't see a UFO. Uh, People are being abducted. You know, it's a sad situation. I think that we're we're sitting in what I call the paranormal closets and not stepping out and being honest about what it is that's going on. So I applaud you and your work. And Dr. Silverman, uh, you know, again, you know, of course, I'm going to look through it through Christian eyes. I'm going to be like, hey, that that just proves Jesus who he said he was. Um, But, you know, everybody's got their own approach. So I I truly, truly find uh, your both your work to be uh, a benefit to many people far and wide. So I'll, I thank you for coming on. This has been fascinating. Now, how can people get a hold of your your book and uh, put out your website there? Yeah. Well, I would rather that people get a hold of themselves, and that's not said in any mo- uh, in modesty. I really do believe that people getting a hold of themselves, looking at this, the information is really out there, as I did, 
And I tell you, you will find a world that will change your entire outlook. As for my book, it's my experience, and anyone can take that. You just It's nigelkerner.com. There's the website, simply that. But I hesitate to say that, you know, Heidi, because to me the great, great exciting thing is to make the person who hasn't seen this get out there, do it, and transform as I feel I've transformed through the experience. Wow. I'm so, so glad that you came on tonight. It seems that we lost uh, Dr. Silverman somehow. Um, Well, heck, I'll put out his information there. Uh, Anybody who wants to look at Dr. Silverman has been lost for some time, but we've always found him, you know. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Dr. Andrew Silverman, his uh, website is lightoftheshroud.com. And uh, you can find some of his fascinating uh, information on there. And actually, I may have him come back on so we can get a bit more in depth on uh, his findings and what it is that he's come across. So again, uh, Nigel Kerner and Dr. Andrew Silverman, thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you, Heidi. And it's been a privilege spending time with you. And I hope your cold gets better soon. (laughs) Well, thank you. Then I'll be a little bit more perky. All right, everybody, you know you can catch me here every Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern and 8 p.m. Central Time. You have been listening to me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander, on Inception Radio Network. Remembering always, if it's weird, we're here. Good night, everybody. A matchup. And what a tea, Mike. Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32 gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.